0: Hello, hello, and welcome to ADHD Fest, the podcast all about adult ADHD, with a little bit of law of attraction and self-development thrown in the mix there. I am your host, Tara Pratt, and this week, you might be able to hear it in my voice, but I'm pretty ill and there's a car going past, so I hope you can't hear that. I am coughing and spluttering. There's going to be a lot of edits, I'm sure, throughout this podcast, but I've got some really good content to share with you, so I didn't want to miss out. Anyway, this week is all about people-pleasing within ADHD. What it is, what causes it, why we do it, why it's bad for us, and then also how we can get out of that and the benefits of getting ourselves out of those people-pleasing tendencies. So first of all, what is people-pleasing? Okay, so It's part of the fight or flight response. When we say fight or flight, it actually doesn't tell us the whole picture because the whole thing is fight, flight, fawn and freeze. And that is a trauma response. Let's say in the simplest form, you run into a big bear in the woods or a tiger. Your life is threatened. You're under threat. You're going to go into one of these four responses. It's either fight. So you're either going to fight the bear, attack it. It's flight which means you're gonna run away as fast as you can. It's fawn, which is like, oh, nice bear, it's okay, I'm not gonna hurt you. It's try and be nice, try and placate the bear, give it some food. Or it's freeze, and that's basically play dead. Hope the bear doesn't notice that you're there. When we're talking about a bear, we know if you've watched any nature documentaries, the best out of them four is to freeze, but we don't always know what the best response is, and it's different in every scenario. So fight, flight, fawn, and freeze, we're not, as in modern day culture, hopefully we're not running away from bears, but this response can happen in response to anything. It can be perceived threat, perceived danger. It can be social threat. It can be anxiety. Fawning is the people pleaser response. That's where we're placating people. We're trying to keep them happy. That is the fawn response of those four things. And what it looks like in real life, you're going to put other people's needs above your own. So a lot of times, particularly for me, I was very bad with this and that's why I want to talk about the topic because I used to be such a people pleaser and I really genuinely thought that that was a normal way to be. I genuinely thought that that was a kind way to be, that it made me a nice person to be a people pleaser and I couldn't understand why other people wouldn't give me the same level of respect and the same level of effort back but the truth is we're all responsible to look after ourselves and I wasn't looking after myself, I was looking after everybody else first and I didn't even question what my needs were and I was hoping that other people would do what I was doing for them and they would preempt my needs and they would look after my needs for me and I would look after their needs for them but that's not a healthy way to be. We have to fill up our own cup. It's that old cliche of put on your oxygen mask first when you're on a flight. You've got to look after yourself first, and then from there you overflow and you help others. So when we people please, we don't do that. We put other people's needs above our own, and a lot of the time we don't even know what our own needs are. However, we are highly attuned to other people's needs. And that makes it, it makes people pleasers be seen as agreeable and helpful. A lot of the time kind, we probably are those things. We probably are helpful. We are kind, but often deep down, we are resentful also of other people using us and taking advantage of that people pleasing. They're not actually taking advantage. We're giving it to them on a plate. We come to resent being relied upon and we feel used and no one wants to feel that way. It can be caused by a number of factors in anyone, but at a basic level, it's caused by this want to be perceived as good. Whether we genuinely want to help in a situation or not, we want to do the thing that looks like We're good. A good person would help in this scenario. And that is our deep desire to be seen as good, to be seen as kind, and not receive any rejection. In a lot of ways, it's dishonest. It's a way of controlling others or controlling the situation. Though usually that is totally subconscious and unintentional. It's not that we want to be dishonest, it's a trauma response. We can't help it. I'm going to explain to you how it can be quite manipulative. I know that sounds really negative and I would never have seen myself as a manipulative person. There was no way I was sitting down analysing and trying to work out, oh, how can I manipulate this to my way of thinking? And I wasn't trying to get anything malicious out of it, but it is controlling. It is trying to keep other people happy in situations where sometimes you've just got to let them not be happy, you have got to let them have their own experience and stop trying to jump in and helicopter all the time. So as I say, it can be caused by lots of things in anyone, including neurotypicals. But there are things that are specific to ADHD that I want to run you through now. The first one is our old favourite rejection sensitivity. If you've got ADHD, it's likely that you have this thing that is called rejection sensitivity dysphoria. And it means that we can be very, very sensitive to rejection. We want to avoid it at all costs. We feel the pain of rejection a lot more than your standard neurotypical. That doesn't matter whether it's real rejection or perceived rejection. And a lot of times, people pleasing can come out of that. We're going to great lengths to avoid that perceived rejection or disapproval. And what is the best way? To avoid disapproval, it's by keeping someone else happy. It's by preempting what they need. It's by being hyper vigilant about what they might find uncomfortable or what they might reject us over. So we try and get ahead of their needs and make sure they're not rejecting us in any way. And the next one impulsivity and social interaction. We have problems with impulsivity this can cause issues with our social interaction when we've got ADHD. So a lot of the times we begin to people-please to try and mitigate the potential consequences of that impulsive behavior. So say we've done something a bit outrageous that we feel a little bit shame around afterwards, we want to make up for that. I have been out with friends, my friends have always said, you've done nothing wrong. Whenever, you know, I've gotten closer with people now, now that I know I've got ADHD, I speak to them the next day when I'm feeling that social anxiety, when I'm like, oh god, What did I say? What did I do last night? Every single time, whether they're lying to me or not, I don't know, but they seem genuine. My friends are like, oh my God, no, you were so much fun last night. You did nothing to be embarrassed about. You're absolutely fine. But pre-diagnosis, before I had an explanation for that, I would be dying inside the next day and I'd be like, oh God, they must think I'm an idiot. And then I'd go above and beyond to try and show them, I'm not an idiot. I'm sending you gifts when you're down. I'm going to be on the phone to you all the time, trying to see how you are. I would try and mitigate the circumstances because of the embarrassment of the impulsivity or oversharing. Next, a problem in ADHD that is very prevalent is emotional dysregulation. We feel our emotions so deeply. It's a blessing and a curse because obviously feeling happiness and joy deeply is amazing. I love that about the ADHD, but actually anger, sadness, those negative emotions can be felt super deeply as well. So people pleasing helps to avoid conflicts that can arise maybe from an emotional outburst, but mostly we want to tiptoe around people. We want to please them. We want to keep them happy so there's no conflict because we want to avoid feeling those horrible feelings like anger and sadness deeply because they really hurt. It's a trauma response. I've spoken several times on this podcast specifically and I have had courses with experts, leading experts in the UK on ADHD research and low self-esteem is such a huge negative result of undiagnosed ADHD, low self-esteem is prevalent, specifically in women that haven't been diagnosed, that have been late diagnosed. But if you were diagnosed as a child, low self-esteem can be one of the results too, because we're given so many criticisms, whether they're direct or whether they're from society, we don't 100% fit that traditional mold and we get little micro rejections all of the time. So we can suffer from really low self-esteem and people pleasing. It's an attempt to seek that external validation to compensate for those internal doubts or negative self-perceptions. We're trying to get praise from people. We're trying to get our friends, our peers, the people we respect, our parents to tell us, good girl, good boy, well done. You did that really well. We're trying to counteract all the negative messages that we've heard over the years. People pleasing can provide that. People are really grateful when you do favours for them. When you go out of your way, it is a buzz and it's dopamine stimulating. Don't forget that as well. So it's boosting our self-esteem. We can't get that. Validation from ourselves because our self esteem is so low. So, we love getting it from external sources. It makes us feel good. Next is a really common experience within the ADHD community, and that is social anxiety. I've just spoken about this for myself with Lights Out with Friends and the next day. It goes so much deeper than that. It's not just with friends. You've got that fear of rejection and negative evaluation. You have got, sometimes your brain is working so fast that you miss social cues. I feel like I'm a very social person and I do well at interacting with friends, especially when I'm feeling good, when I'm not burnt out. When I'm burnt out, it's a completely different story. But a lot of the times I do miss them social cues. I do feel a bit awkward in a situation because I'm overthinking. The hyperactivity of my brain is always ruminating. It's always thinking deeply into a social interaction. For example, the school run in the morning. I jump out the car. I'm crossing paths with a million of my friends that I like. And they're like, hi. I'm like, hi, morning. I'm trying to be friendly and happy because I'm genuinely happy to see them. But then they go, how are you? and we're literally passing and I go, oh, I'm great, thanks, how about you? But I don't even get to the how about you because we're already past. I'm running, we're only a couple of minutes, we we don't wait in the playground, we literally drop to the door and that's it. So I'm in and out of the car in minutes and I always feel guilty, I'm like, oh no, they said, how am I, should I have stopped? Should I ask them how they are? I always feel so awkward in their moments and then at pick up, We are stood by the school gates for like a couple of minutes. So it's long enough to start a conversation, but not a deep one. And I am terrible at small talk, which I know just through speaking to friends that a lot of ADHD is, we really struggle with small talk. I want to get deep. I want to get in the nitty gritty. I'm an oversharer and I want to know your trauma too. And let's have a proper discussion. So when I know I've only got five minutes and we're talking about like the weather, every time I'm at school drop off and I see people, I'm like, God, it's freezing, isn't it? I'm like, yeah, it's freezing. God's so cold, yeah. And you just talk back and forth for like five minutes about how freezing it is. And it just gives me anxiety. It's just so awkward. That again is an attempt to alleviate the anxiety by people pleasing, we're seeking constant approval and avoiding that perceived criticism. So when I'm worrying about, oh no, I didn't ask how they are, that is me people pleasing, that is me trying to avoid criticism. I don't want that person to go away and think, God, she's so rude, she didn't even ask how I am. They're probably not thinking that at all. In fact, when they asked how I was, they probably weren't looking for a genuine answer. But my people pleasing is ruminating upon that and thinking, okay, what's the best thing that I can do to make this not awkward for this other person? Even though I feel awkward making small talk, if that makes them feel relaxed. I'm going to do it because I'm people pleasing. Just before we move on with further ADHD reasons why we might be people pleasers, I do want to talk for a moment about hypervigilance. This is a trauma response, hypervigilance. You know that feeling where someone's walking down the stairs and you know exactly who it is by their footsteps or that little sense of dread you get before someone comes through the door or that little sense of dread I get when I'm passing people and I'm trying to work out. What is their feeling? Do they want me to ask how they are? Are they okay? That is hypervigilance and that is a trauma response, whether you have ADHD or not. It is probably more likely if you do have ADHD because we do suffer genuine trauma. It's not always just our symptoms. We do have rejection sensitivity, and if we are genuinely rejected, if it's genuine rejection, if it's genuine trauma, That effect on us is much worse than it would be on a neurotypical. It would definitely negatively impact a neurotypical person. But can you imagine what that would do to someone who is neurodiverse and has rejection sensitivity? And it is a genuine, definite rejection. It is traumatic. It doesn't have to be this big abuse. It doesn't have to be physical abuse. It doesn't have to be sexual abuse to create trauma. All abuse is valid. Obviously, I'm so sorry if you've been through those bigger traumas, then definitely you will have been impacted massively by that. But just because you don't have them doesn't mean you're not traumatized. It doesn't mean you can't have hypervigilance, which leads to people pleasing. We're hypervigilant about other people's feelings, about what's going on around us, and we want to preempt it and get ahead of it and try and placate them by using this fawn response. Okay, let's get back to ADHD. Hyperfocus. This can definitely contribute to people pleasing. We're intensely focusing our hyperfocus on others' needs and emotions. The hyperfocus on external cues contributes to an overemphasis on people pleasing behavior at the expense of our own needs. So not only are we going above and beyond for someone else, we're going 10 miles above and beyond where Okay, we could keep them happy by maybe inviting them around for a cup of tea. But instead, we're going to invite them around for a cup of tea. We're going to have every cake you could possibly want. We're going to get special sandwiches in. We're going to get them a nice chair to sit on. We're going to make sure the music's just right. Can you see how one would be nice and the other is absolute overkill? It's hyper-focus. It's going right down into the details of it. So obviously, we're prone to hyper-focus. And that is another thing that can impact us. So we've spoken about ADHD specifically, why we might be people pleasing. And before I move on to how we can stop doing that, I just want to say that you shouldn't beat yourself up for this behaviour. It is an unhealthy response. It's a trauma response. But at the same time, Your body and your mind has protected you. You have needed this trauma response. At one point or another, it came out of need. It came out of necessity. And it was the best way you knew how to keep yourself safe. Whether that be physically or mentally or spiritually. And so your body and your mind has done exactly what it's built to do. It was the right thing to do. But now it's not serving us. And we're going to get our way out of it. And how are we going to do that? We're going to do it by setting boundaries. To reduce people-pleasing behavior, setting boundaries can help you break the cycle and by clearly defining personal limits, you can reduce the pressure to constantly meet others' expectations at the expense of your own well-being. This really is the only way setting boundaries, which can sound very, I don't know, therapist-y and very technical but it's actually not technical at all. You don't have to get into a conflict with anyone. Setting boundaries is honestly just for yourself. You don't have to tell anyone what your boundaries are. You just live by them. I'm going to explain as we go. First we want to look at the actual benefits of setting boundaries because there's no point in me telling you to set boundaries if you're like oh it doesn't really matter who cares. I'm quite happy being a people pleaser even after all of those negatives I've just gone through. The number one benefit for me, at least, is that it preserves your energy. I want to tell you that I have done this. I have worked for over a year on setting boundaries within myself. I have seen all of these benefits that I'm going to tell you about right now in real life. And it really does work. And guess what? I haven't lost one friend. I haven't lost one family member. There's definitely been a change. Definitely people can feel it. But honestly, I feel like I'm in a better place in my relationships. So, number one, preservation of energy. People pleasing causes mental fatigue. Like it definitely does due to just the constant demands on your attention and your focus. You're always trying to think ahead. You're always trying to think of ways to placate people and fawn over them. So setting boundaries helps to conserve so much mental and emotional energy as well. A lot of the time you're going to find out that that is what's causing your burnout is expending all this energy on other people's needs. So you're going to find yourself burning out a lot less and it's going to promote your overall well-being. Another thing is it helps you with personal growth. When we're putting boundaries and we stop people pleasing, it doesn't mean we drop people. All it means is we're learning more about our own needs and our own preferences first. So it involves self-awareness, self-advocacy, and a deeper understanding of your values and priorities. What is important to you? It can be empowering for those of us with ADHD to actually sit down and go, okay, what is important to me? That's got to come first. Next, it's going to reduce stress so much. It's going to reduce your stress massively and the overwhelm. I used to always complain that I had no time. I was so busy. I was so overwhelmed. And when I got rid of this people pleasing, I gained so much time. It's unbelievable. And mental energy. I remember thinking, oh God, I'm always doing stuff for other people. I've never got time for my own things. And I didn't realize I was doing it for myself. Now that I've got well-defined boundaries, it gives me a sense of structure and also predictability over my own time and my own life. And it helps me to manage stress and avoid those situations that lead to sensory overload. And again, burnout. It also is gonna help increase your level of self-respect. You know, I was talking about that low self-esteem this is gonna boost your self-esteem massively. It's really like a positive cycle. One thing leads to another. So establishing and enforcing the boundaries conveys a sense of self-respect to other people, but also to yourself, it just builds that self-trust. It communicates to other people that you value your own needs and priorities, and then they start to value them as well. And it really fosters this positive self-image for you in your own mind, and it reduces the need for excessive, people pleasing. When you reduce the people pleasing, it increases your self-respect. And when you increase your self-respect, it reduces the people pleasing. It really works in this positive circle. It's also going to improve your time management. And you might not believe me, believe me. Time management is so hard for those of us with ADHD and putting the boundaries in really helps you with your time commitments and it helps you to Allocate your time just more effectively and it reduces overcommitting. Definitely when you're people please and you overcommit, it's really hard to say no. This is gonna reduce that, and you're not gonna be so overcommitted, you're not gonna be so tired, and you're not gonna be so stressed. You're gonna have more time for yourself, which then is gonna improve your mental health. When you've got ADHD, those clear boundaries are gonna help you to manage the stress, reduce anxiety, and provide a sense of control over your environment, which coincidentally is exactly what you're looking for when you're people pleasing. You think you have control over your environment, but that's not true. Only boundaries are going to give you control over your environment. Next, it's going to give you enhanced focus and productivity, which is exactly what we need, isn't it? Instead of wasting focus trying to preempt people's needs. Those well-defined boundaries are going to create a structured environment leading to improved focus and productivity for you because you've got the time to think. You've got the time to think about what you want to focus on and plan, sit down and plan. Next, it's going to give you healthier relationships. So as your self-respect grows, other people are going to respect you more. It's just the natural way of life. People-pleasing, it is actually manipulation and people can feel that as much as they like the help. No one likes to ask someone, oh, what do you want to do? And they go, oh, I don't mind, whatever you want to do. No one enjoys that. No one likes to feel like someone isn't being honest with them. Like when you say, oh, can you help me on Friday? And they go, yeah, of course. But really they're resenting it and they don't want to help you on Friday. Who would enjoy that? People prefer authenticity and boundaries play a vital role in maintaining healthy relationships. They really do and I can tell you that from experience. Next is self-empowerment. Establishing and enforcing your boundaries really empowers you. It helps you to assert yourself and advocate for your own needs which is going to give you so much confidence I can't even tell you. It gives you such a good sense of self-worth. Those are all the benefits of boundaries and using boundaries to help you to reduce that phone response and reduce your people pleasing and tendencies as i said before it doesn't mean we're going to completely drop other people or we're not going to help them we're just going to decide when we genuinely want to help people when we genuinely have space and time and energy to do it and if our needs are that we need rest or that we haven't got the bandwidth for it at the moment we're going to respect that so first we want to get honest with ourselves. I can't tell you what your boundaries are. It's different for everyone. And if someone else says to you, oh, I wouldn't do that. You've got to have some self-respect. I wouldn't do that. It might be completely different to you. For example, my boundaries now are Mondays, Monday mornings. I have time for me. And it's just to get my own mind straight basically i do a massive plan i do handwritten plans for the week and it's the only way that i can get organized for my week my priorities that i've come up with are i want to be a good mom that's my number one priority uh, i want to be a good mom i also want to be a good partner and wife i feel like i am kind of naturally Whereas I used to put that like way up on the scale and I used to kill myself trying to like be everything to Peter. I wanted to be his counsellor. You know, I just wanted to be everything for him. And I still do. I still want to look after him, but not before I look after me to be a good mom. I have to look after me when I'm not, when I'm burnt out, I'm not a good mom. So first of all, my priority is my health, whether that be physical or mental. That is my number one priority. It's easy to set boundaries when you look at your priorities, because I'm like, okay, in this situation, am I expending some, am I expending my mental health? Am I using up energy that I don't have? What comes first? What do I need to do in this situation? Do I have the bandwidth for it? And if I do, and if I want to do something, here's a great tip, actually, not a segue, but one of the first sessions with my therapist, she asked me, What do you want in this situation? And I was like, "Um, I don't know. And she was like, I think this is the problem. You're not even asking yourself, what do I want? And it doesn't mean that I'm going to do what I want, but I need to at least know what I want. A lot of the time, we don't even ask ourselves. So say we're asked a favor. We don't even ask ourselves the question, do I want to? All we ask ourselves is, have I got time? Can I move some things around to do this favour for someone? We don't actually ask ourselves, do I want to do this? And a lot of the times the answer will be, no, I don't actually want to do this. It doesn't mean that we're not going to do it, it just means that that is a factor that goes in the cons list. You know, it's part of the decision. It's part of the choice. It's not that we're completely ignoring that and we're like, well, it doesn't matter whether I want to do it or not. It's the right thing to do. No, the right thing to do is always what's best for you because you can't pour from an empty cup. So once you've got your priorities in order, once you've thought that through, what is important to you? My number one is being a good mom. Number two is this ADHD fest. I want to give back. I want to have a successful brand that helps people with ADHD. So they're my two priorities for me. They're nothing to do with anyone else. You might say that motherhood is to do with my son. He is my earth, my moon, and my stars. I absolutely love him, but motherhood is actually for me. For me to be happy, I need to be a good mother. I need to know that I've done my best. It's great for him, but it's not specifically for him. It's for me. So they're my two priorities. Both of them rely on my health. So that has to come before both of them even. Even if something to do with motherhood is calling out to me, I'm going to try my best to do it. But if I'm really ill, I'm going to have to delegate it because I need to get better in order to be a good mother again. Does that make sense? So once you've got these priorities, and I would keep it down to two or three. Once you've got those priorities, then you want to look at boundaries around it. For example, mine is Monday mornings. I have blocked off that time just for me and it doesn't matter what anyone else wants, what anyone else needs, that is my time. I can decide to change that time if I choose to, but I'm looking at it like a job, like as if I was working for someone else. The only reason I would move that is reasons that I would call off work sick. So that might be that A, I am really sick, or B, I really can't think of anything else, an appointment that I might need or something. Other than that, that time is my time. Even if someone wants help moving house, if Pete needs me to do something, if something comes up, that time is my time. I don't need to tell anyone there's a boundary around it. I just need to know for myself. Also, there's things that I will not do at this point. My boundary is if I don't want to do something, hugely beneficial to the other person if I specifically do it, it can be delegated to someone else, then I'm not going to do that thing. So if they ask me of something, I'm just going to go, sorry, I can't. And I've got a boundary with myself that I can say no, and I don't have to explain myself any more than that. Another boundary that I created for myself, if I'm uncomfortable with what someone is saying, or if someone is disrespecting me, At the moment, my boundary is I don't respond. Someone can be talking or saying something to me that is passive aggressive or I just don't like it and I just look at them blankly. I just don't respond without even telling them that boundary. After a while, they start to get it. They realize if I say something that isn't nice, I'm not gonna get any response and I'm gonna feel awkward. Yeah, that's one of my boundaries. I do wanna up that to standing up for myself. But at the moment, it's just less stressful. There's less conflict. If I just don't respond, if I just look at them, a lot of the time they just stop. Whereas people pleasing Tara would nod along with what they were saying. If someone was insulting me passive aggressively, I would just feel awkward and I would want to make them feel less awkward about it. So I would just either self-deprecate, like I go, oh yeah, I know I'm terrible, aren't I? Oh God, I do do that. I'm awful. I'd agree with them. Or I would pretend that I haven't realized that they've insulted me, which actually worked quite well because (laughs) there's nothing more annoying than when you're trying to insult someone and they don't get it at all. But it wasn't respecting myself in that way because I wasn't letting them know that this is wrong to do. I was just like glossing over it like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It is quite like pretending I haven't understood that they are insulting me. Now I literally just look at them and wait. Or I'll literally just get up and walk out. That is another boundary that I've put in place. Once you know what your priorities are, it's really easy to put those boundaries in place. Don't forget, there's so many links down below that are going to be really helpful to you, particularly if you're undiagnosed. I did a little poll on Instagram the other day, and I found out that most of my followers over there, and we're over 2,000 by the way, woohoo! Um, most of my followers over there are undiagnosed. So if you're in the UK, I've got a completely free resource for you down below, and it's the quickest way for you to get diagnosed in the UK at the moment. It's called Right to Choose Path, and it's where you, you still go through the NHS, you still go through your GP, but basically it's you're using a private company through the NHS, and the wait lists are so much shorter. So in my free bundle down below, it's got all the forms you need, And it's got a checklist of what to do and in what order. There's a link in the show notes down below. Check that out. If you're not following me on Instagram, on TikTok or Facebook, please do. I share different things on every platform. Instagram is ADHDfest. TikTok is ADHD underscore fest. And Facebook is basically the group, which is ADHDfest, the group. There's lots going on on all of those platforms. Come and say hey. And don't forget that we also have the Body Doubling Membership. It's an accountability group. It really has been so helpful for me in breaking down tasks in real time. We do them together. We did a kitchen speed clean. We've done, what was the most recent one I've done? I've literally just recorded one and it's gone out of my mind. Oh, we did a declutter. So I decluttered my wardrobe but the episode walks you through decluttering any space and it's just literally 40 minutes and we do it together. So I talk you through step-by-step. I keep you accountable. It just helps so much. You feel like you're not alone. I'm loving it. I'm absolutely loving it in this. That's linked down below as well. It's on Apple Podcasts, it's on Patreon, and I think it's on Spotify as well. You'll find it all in the link down below. I made it ages ago so i'm not sure but it'll explain to you exactly what the body doubling club is and what you get for that monthly membership don't forget you can sign up to the newsletters as well down below and that's when i send out i send out a little email just telling you about each episode or breaking it down or i tell you about new things that we've got coming out And I just love hearing from you. So please rate, review, subscribe. That is so helpful. It really helps boost the podcast. And I really want to get the word out there. I hope you all have a wonderful week. And I'll see you all soon. Bye.